Beginning in 2012, South Korean restaurants, shops, parks, and civic centers began installing new signage to their premises. Uh, alongside signs that said, you know, no smoking and no pets, came a new slogan, no kids. While children have, of course, typically been barred from certain adult establishments, these signs were novel because they prohibited children from everyday spaces, uh, spaces like parks and shops, uh, spaces where children were no longer welcome. On the other hand, there are other parts of our society that seem to be obsessed with children. Uh, parents fixate on their children's academic performances, their extracurricular activities, in youth sports, kids can be practicing five or six or seven days a week to get to the most elite travel teams. Their health is constantly monitored. Marketers tailor their products to their desires. Politicians pontificate about their future. For some, children are a nuisance to be avoided. Yet for others, life seemingly revolves around children. As Christians, how should we think about children? What role do they play in the family and the responsibilities that parents have to them? Last week in Colossians 3, we considered the role of wives and husbands in the home. Uh, today, Paul continues by instructing children and parents. So if you have a Bible, let me encourage you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. We'll be in verses 20 and 21 this morning. You'll recall that Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul around 60 AD. Uh, Paul was writing from a Roman prison. He wrote to the church to warn them uh, about this false teaching that had begun to creep into the church that promoted asceticism and self-made religion, that thought that Christ was insufficient as Savior. They needed to pay attention to these other spiritual realities. And so Paul wrote to remind the Colossian Christians that they needed to put on Christ and find their identity in him. Last week, we saw that the command to love, uh, that specifically as it relates to husbands and wives and how they relate to one another, this morning, we're going to look in particular at how children and parents fulfill the command to love. Uh, just like last week, the reason we're kind of slowing down and zooming in on the topics of marriage and children it's not because marriage and children are the point of the book of Colossians. It's not because marriage and children are the point of the Christian life. Uh, no, you can be a Christian glorifying God, knowing and enjoying God, serving him, and not get married or not have kids. That's not the kind of apex of human existence. The reason we're slowing down and focusing on these is because our society is very confused about these topics about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, husband, wife, child, parents. And so we just want to think biblically about all about these topics, right? We don't want to let our intuitions or our experience or our culture dictate the way that we live in these arenas. Uh, we want to let God and his word um, set the agenda, as it were. And so if this morning you're, you're not a father or a mother, let me encourage you not to check out of this message. Okay, so let me encourage you not to just think, all right, I can get this Sunday off, get 45 minutes to daydream. Um, the reason for that would be a couple. Number one, you don't know that the Lord might not call you to be a father or mother one day. Uh, number two, you need to know how best to encourage and instruct and pray for and support the parents and children around you. 
Um, you know, it's, it's often said that the best sports players, like Tom Brady, know what every player on the field is supposed to be doing. So Tom Brady didn't just know like his role, he knew what everyone was supposed to be doing, and that would help him help them. That's kind of like what the Christian life and living in the church is. We want to help and support one another, and it's harder to do that if we don't know what the Lord is calling them to, how we can pray for them and check in on them. So if that's you this morning, I hope you won't check out. I know the topic of parenting can be a sensitive one to many people, people who maybe grew up with difficult backgrounds. Uh, or people who perhaps desire to be parents, but the Lord has not given that. And so um, if that's you this morning, let me encourage you to, to take your tears to the Lord. And, and when, when you feel the pangs of sorrow, to not think, okay, I need to distance myself from God. Um, but that's an opportunity to draw near to the Lord, uh, to bring your sorrow, to bring your questions, uh, to bring your requests to God and ask for his help in giving you contentment, and you can ask for good gifts that he might give it to you. Um, this is something that, that you shouldn't do alone. The Bible says we should weep with those who weep. So if this is a topic that for you is particularly sensitive, uh, let me encourage you that God draws near to the brokenhearted. Uh, invite other brothers and sisters into that, that together you might go to the Lord. This morning, we're going to have uh, two sections as we come to Colossians 3, 20 and 21. Uh, we're going we're to have two main sections, and the main idea, just like last week, is simply this. In every season of life, serve the Lord. In every season of life, serve the Lord. To get the context, we're going to begin reading, just like, again, last week, we're going to begin reading in verse 12 of Colossians 3. So look with me. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Amen. Well, our first point is in verse 20, related to children, and we are going to have six subpoints. All right, the, the first thing is that one, children are valued. Children are valued. Number one, you see that because the Apostle Paul addresses the children, right? He says, children, Allie and Henry, uh, Joel, Josiah, Naomi, children. The Apostle Paul thinks children should be addressed and instructed and taught because, of course, they're made in the image of God. 
God loves them. He made them. He made them to know him. In a day and age that viewed children as a nuisance due to their lack of output and productivity for the family, do you remember how Jesus welcomed the children? You remember his disciples kind of shooed them away. So, well, you know, what are you doing? Jesus isn't a babysitter. Get them out of here. Uh, but Jesus blessed them and said, let the children come to me. Because he knew that God loves them. Because he loves them. Children are made in God's image and, and so often our world commits the same error as back then, right? Your worth is tied to what you contribute to the country's GDP, uh, what you earn. And yet here, the Apostle Paul, when he says children, he recognizes the value that is intrinsic to them. It's not something that they can perform or kind of earn by their good behavior, no, by the very creation of God. Paul and Jesus understand that children are made in God's image. Number two, children bear a special obedience to their parents. Emphasis on that last word, parents. Uh, God has chosen parents to be the primary influence and authority in children's life. Uh, he's not entrusted that task to the government or tribe or extended family or siblings, as great and as helpful as all those things can be. Uh, God is the one who created the natural bonds of kinship, which causes parents to not only look out for their own interests, but sacrifice a lot for their kids. Get up in the middle of the night, change diapers, save for a college fund, counsel them till 1 a.m. I mean, counsel the, serve them in thousands of ways. Uh, God has entrusted parents this task of raising their children. Parents bear a special authority and responsibility. They who love them and know what their unique needs are. Number three, children should obey their parents. Uh, this is stronger language than the submit language of wives to husbands. Did you notice the, the difference in verb? Uh, verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything. There's a degree of authority that parents have over children that husbands don't have over their wives. So you can think about it, especially when children are young, right? To think about all the, the tasks, all the responsibilities, all the instruction that parents give to children, right? What to wear, what to eat, how to clean up, when to go outside, when to come in, how to say hello to people, when to say goodbye, pack up your things, get in the car, go to bed, brush your teeth, Right? That is a level of authority and instruction and obedience that needs to be rendered that is not parallel to the relationship between a husband and a wife. I think it's important that we note there's a dissimilarity there. If you're a husband and you're trying to do all, give all those commands to your wife, please come talk to me. We have some things to talk about. Uh, for adult children, of course, I appreciate what Zach said in his prayer earlier. There is a kind of honoring that is different than obedience. Uh, for, for adult children who've left the house, what it means, you're, you're no longer under the authority of parents per se as it relates to obeying in being under their household. Uh, as an adult child, you still are absolutely responsible to honor your father and mother, uh, to give thanks to them for all that God has done through them, 
to thank them for all the many ways they have blessed you, even for really difficult and uh, hard parents. There is a responsibility to honor them. Notice that, you know, Paul says, obey your parents in everything so that both fathers and mothers are to be obeyed. It's not just mom who should be obeyed because dad is gone a lot. So we won't listen to him. It's not just dad because he's in charge. We don't need to listen to mom. No, as it took the husband and the wife to conceive the child and give life. So now both are responsible and in authority over the lives of their children. And so what does this mean? You know, children, obey your parents in everything. Obey your parents in everything. Um, I'll confess that before I became a parent, I thought the concept of obedience was just kind of obvious. And, and it's just kind of common sense. Obedience is, is doing what somebody says. You just, you do it. Right? If your boss says, go print these or, you know, give this report or you just, you just do it. Um, but I, I think there's, we can maybe define it a little more tightly. Uh, obedience is all the way, right away, with a happy heart. Uh, this is particularly relevant to the, to the younger years, right? As, as kids get older, the relationship changes because they're becoming more and more of an adult, right? A 16-year-old, as a parent, the way you relate to them is different than the way you relate to a six-year-old is different than the way you relate to a six-month-old. And again, if you don't agree with that, please come talk to me. Uh, obedience should be all the way right away with a happy heart. You remember uh, King Saul, the first king of Israel? Uh, David gave him the command, or rather Samuel, slaughter everything. Uh, bring everything under the Canaan, of the Canaanites under the ban. He didn't do that, right? He failed to slaughter the, the calves and the really valuable uh, livestock. Obey all the way, obey right away. Uh, because delayed obedience is disobedience. Uh, parents should expect their children to obey when they give them the command. Just like God, when he commands us, we're called to, to obey him right away. Um, Jesus gives the parable of the, the two sons, right? In Matthew, I think it's 19, and, and the one says, I will obey, and then doesn't. And the, first, the other says, I won't obey, and then does. And so the, the lesson of that is, if you are disobeying, you should change and start obeying. You know, it's, it's better to obey late than never, but it's better still to obey right away. And then third, uh, with a happy heart. Uh, no grumbling or complaining or fits. The Apostle Paul says, rejoice at all times. Uh, brothers and sisters, men and women, boys and girls, children and parents, uh, your attitude is a choice. Your emotions and the response that you have to your life and what your parents say, right? James 1 says that when trials come, we should count it as pure joy. He's saying, make a choice to have a certain disposition and attitude. Uh, we are responsible not just for our actions, but our attitudes, so God expects children to obey their parents without grumbling or bitterness. Of course, for this to happen, um, for the children to obey their parents, parents need to give commands that are wise and right. Uh, they need to give commands that are loving, not impossible, like go clean this whole house. You have 10 minutes. 
or irrespective of age, expecting a three-year-old to do what only a five-year-old can do, or expecting a 10-year-old to do what a 15-year-old can do. Um, parents also need to, of course, be, be aware of circumstances like sleep and health and food, etc. But with all that in mind, children need to obey. And it is unloving of parents to not expect their children to obey. Even as parents are simultaneously working on the, the behavior, the obedience of their children, I do think it's important that we, we emphasize and be clear that external change, external behavior modification itself is not the main goal, right? Not just, okay, just show up and do it, um, but that as, as parents, as Christians, we're working for heart change. That's what our children need because that's what all people ultimately need. Uh, do you remember in Mark 7, Jesus is disputing with the Pharisees. They're really concerned why the disciples are not completing this outward action. And Jesus is like, you guys are concerned about the totally wrong thing. He said, what co- Jesus said in Mark 7, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. You see, as parents, we understand that our children have a cancer that will kill them. It's the same cancer we have, and it's sin. And so we understand that that they, what they most need is not just to, to get to bed and do their homework on time and get up on their own and get themselves bowls of cereal. What they need is a heart change. They need God to do the work in them that he needs to do in us. Our main problem is our sin for parents and children alike. Uh, this means, you know, this creates a really great bond that parents and children have. We're both sinners. We can bond over that, how hard it is to obey sometimes, how we both need the Savior. We need to go to the Lord. There is an equality, even as there's this difference in role and authority, there's this, there's this equality between parents and children of, yeah, we're both helpless sinners apart from the grace of Christ. We both need him. To number four, um, to insist on obedience isn't legalism or anti-gospel. Do you notice that Paul says in verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Paul does not assume that these children are Christians. They may or may not be, but their obedience is still pleasing to God. Even if it falls short of spirit-empowered, faith-fueled obedience, God is the one who created the family and who desires for children to obey their mother and their father. So yes, there is a sense in which everything that does not proceed from faith is sin, as the Bible says, but you can sin in more or less severe ways. Uh, Anger and murder are both sinning. Anger is the root of murder. Anger and murder are not morally equivalent. I think sometimes people make that mistake in Christian circles. Anger and murder are not morally equivalent, okay? Anger is the root of murder. So you can't just say like, oh, I'm angry, no problem. No, you gotta kill that sin. Um, 
But as parents, we need to understand that whether or not a child is a Christian, God is pleased when his creational order is honored and children obey their parents. Number five, why is obeying parents important for children? Why is it important? Well, the short answer is that it is the foundation. Obeying one's parents is the foundation for obeying all authorities in our lives. We see this in the fifth commandment, which we looked at earlier, which is the first of the horizontal commandments of the Ten Commandments, okay? So, you remember, Jesus said the greatest commandment is love God and love neighbor, great. Uh, You can divide the Ten Commandments kind of in that way. The first four commandments are about how you love God, uh, that he alone is God. Uh, You don't make an idol, you don't take his name in vain, you honor the Sabbath, right? So, that's about loving God. And five through ten, then, are about loving neighbor, Honor father and mother, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. Okay? So you can divide it into kind of love God, love neighbor categories. And what is the first love neighbor command? You know, like, what is, you know, if there's one thing for people to take away on how best to love their neighbor, what does God say? He says, children, honor your father and mother. Because your father and mother, Lord willing, are teaching you the truths about God and his word and his world that will then be applicable in the rest of your life. Uh, That will then kind of flesh out some more about what it means to love God and love neighbor. If you will disobey at home, you'll disobey in society. If you cause chaos and destruction at home, you will not be a source of peace and blessing at large. A child who's willing to disobey parents will be willing to disobey teachers and coaches and police. There is no authority so dear, so sacrificial, and so tender as parents. And so if children are willing to throw off that authority, well, they will be very likely to throw off the authority of others that God has instituted. It's also important, a child's obedience to parents, because it models a Christian's obedience to our Heavenly Father. Right, the New Testament says over and over again that when somebody becomes a Christian, they become a child of God. Naturally, we're all born in sin. Naturally, we're all born as children of wrath. We're slaves to our passions, and we obey our sinful hearts. But now that we've come to put our faith in Christ, he has given us a new heart. Uh, his spirit now rules in our hearts. And now God becomes our father. What this means is that instead of obeying the flesh, we come to obey him. We've come to respect and adore him. We've repented of our Adam-like rejection of his authority, and we've come to put on a Christ-like submission in obedience to his authority. We've come to a childlike trust in our heavenly father. And so when children do this, they are reflecting something of the person and work of Christ. Uh, Think about how the Lord Jesus Christ, truly God and truly man, uh, he truly obeyed, he fully obeyed his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph. The book of Luke says that explicitly. As a young boy, he never sinned or disobeyed them. And more than that, throughout his entire life, he never rejected the authority of his heavenly father. 
He never sought to exert his own will or follow his own plan. Uh, Praise God, Jesus didn't say, obeying my father is too hard. Praise God, Jesus was an obedient son. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, uh, the call on your life is not fundamentally to be a good husband, be a good father, be a good wife, be a good mother, be a good person, so much as it is to reconcile with God through the person of his son, to recognize that he has done everything needed for your reconciliation and that you need only put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, This is the fundamental act of the Christian, to trust in Christ's perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection. And now it's that resurrection, new life power that animates the believer. Uh, Now as believers, we work not according to the power of the flesh, but the power of the spirit, even as we imitate the obedience of Christ to his heavenly father. And so point number six, uh, children, obey your parents. Boys and girls in the room, obey your parents. Um, I know obedience can be hard for you. It's hard for your parents too. Uh, As you struggle at times to obey God's word, so do they. You can pray for your parents, in fact, for their obedience to their heavenly father. When you, child, are struggling to obey, you can ask for God's help. The Lord loves, that's like, you know, kind of top hits what God loves, the prayers he loves to answer are the ones God help me to obey. That is a prayer that God loves to answer. God help me to say no to selfishness and anger and pride and lying and stealing and grumbling and complaining to obey the parents that you have given me. Uh, Children, know that God has given you your particular parents. It's not an accident who your parents are. God chose them to be your parents because of his love for you. And that love is evident in your parents' love. Maybe two two final things to kids. Uh, Kiddos, one of the reasons that God tells you to obey your parents is that your parents are wiser than you are. Now, I know that might seem crazy at times. I know you might doubt that at times. I know that as you get older, that will come to seem more and more suspicious. But it's true. God has given you parents to guide you in this life for your own good, for your own flourishing, for your own success. The most important way you can obey them is by believing the gospel. There is nothing that your children would love, your your parents would love more than to see you put your faith in Christ. Um, When you struggle against sin and when you realize there are times that you've fallen short, you should use that time to think about how you're a sinner, but God loves you and he's made a way for you to enter his heavenly family through Jesus, through his son. I know there is nothing your parents would desire more than for you to place your faith in Christ. Second, let's turn to our second point in verse 21 about parents. And we have five observations here. Five observations here. Verse 21, fathers, don't provoke your children 
lest they become discouraged. So the first thing we see is that Paul specifically addresses fathers here. Even as he just mentioned that kids should obey their parents. Did you notice that? There's a, there's a incongruity there. Verse 20, children, obey your parents. 21, Paul doesn't address it to parents. He specifically addresses fathers. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Why does he mention fathers here? Well, it, it could be that fathers are uniquely and or particularly prone to provoke their children and to discourage them. Uh, that might be it. But the main reason is that God calls husbands and fathers to take the lead in training and discipling and disciplining and instructing their kids. Just as God held Adam accountable for he and his wife's behavior, so God calls husbands and fathers, in particular, responsible for their household and for the raising of their children. Fathers are called to the task of training their children. So men, husbands, fathers, you can't abdicate here. We can't abdicate here and say, oh, that's, that's the woman's domain. No. Men, we are called to lead here. Now, mothers are absolutely, hugely, ridiculously, crucially important. We're going to end there because I actually, I think it's really way more important than we give it credit. From day one, right, but before we get there, from day one, the woman literally, the mother literally nurtures and gives life to the child, provides a home for the child, a safe place to grow and develop. God has specifically created and designed the woman, even her body, for the safety and nurturing and strengthening and help and life of this child. So fathers, know that your wife is empowered and enabled to do something that you cannot do. You literally cannot incubate a child. Try as hard as you want. That is a gift that only she is able to do. You are ultimately responsible, but you absolutely cannot do this without her. And of course, even after birth, her unique role doesn't recede. As she feeds the child in a way that try as you might, fathers, you are going to be unable to do. God has gifted her for that, not you. And so that pattern of relying on and trusting your wife, uh, of trusting God, that he's given her the gifts and wisdom and abilities and insights and discernment and just the totality of who she is, uh, you will continue to need her. As children grow up, they often spend more time with their mother, receiving instruction and counsel from her. But men, that does not excuse any kind of paternal neglect or abdication of role. Fathers are called to provide, protect, and instruct the child. That's number one. Number two, what does Paul mean when he says, do not provoke your children? lest they become discouraged. Well, in short, I think it's to act and give commands and live in such a way that doesn't promote peace and tranquility in the home, but antagonism and conflict. Uh, of course, wives, mothers are, are capable of provoking children, but it is, I think, interesting that, that Paul, again, mentions this particular command to men, to fathers, 
the, the temperament of a father, potentially the role of a father, can provoke and, and goad disobedience uh, by giving impossible commands that are impossible for children to keep, by setting unrealistic expectations that are not always verbalized, but lurk in the background, haunting the child through life, uh, through inconsistent discipline and reproof. You know, one of the most unloving things we can do for our kids is to be inconsistent in our training and instruction, uh, to laugh at their sin today, but to blow up at them tomorrow, to ignore at it in times past, but come down harshly in the future. Through impossible commands or unrealistic expectations, inconsistent discipline and reproof, uh, fathers need to be careful not to provoke their children, to stir them up to anger, uh, lest they become discouraged. Again, what what does this discouragement look like? What is Paul referring to? I I think we could, you know, just paint a picture. It, It would be a child being weighed down by commands. So in our flesh, all of us are tempted to think of obedience as a hard thing, as a burdensome thing. But what does First John, John say, right? God's commands are not a burden. So fathers and mothers, uh, if you're giving commands in such a way that your children think of obedience as life-sucking as opposed to life-giving, well, that might be a clue that, that you are provoking and discouraging your children. We want our children to think of obedience as leading to happiness. A discouraged child loses the hope of pleasing mom and dad. When someone can't be pleased, nothing is worse than their nagging and discontentedness about your performance. A discouraged child shrinks back from mom and dad's appearing rather than being thrilled by them. When a child wants to hide and run away from their parents rather than running to them in joy and in love. I think the proof of this is how uh, often Jesus loved to be with his heavenly father while here on earth. You think about all the times that he, he goes off to the side to pray, to commune with his heavenly father. He does not avoid his father. He seeks to draw near to be with him. Um, and I think the, the, maybe a last sign of a discouraged child is one who views God negatively because of one's parents. There's something about the parental role, the paternal role, that the way we exercise authority reflects the way that God reflects authority. And so if we are harsh or overbearing or abusive in any way, that will oftentimes be projected onto God in the way that he uses his authority. Uh, A discouraged child will not look to God as a comfort and a solace uh, but instead will view God as tiresome. All right, so do you notice that in verse 21, Paul gives negative commands? Father, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. You know, what's, what's the positive? Just like, okay, don't do this. As long as you don't do that, do whatever you want. Negatively, don't provoke your children, but positively, what should fathers, what should parents do? Uh, To find that answer, let's look briefly at Ephesians 6, our scripture reading, just verse 4. You don't even need to turn there, or you you can. I'm not saying you don't have to. I'm not saying you can't. Ephesians 6, 4. 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Okay, we see the parallel there. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Just as parents are given the primary responsibility to physically support and provide and care for their children, so parents are given the primary responsibility of discipling them, of giving them the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents shouldn't abdicate that to government or church or tribe, again, even as it's appropriate, to get help in those areas at times. Paul mentions two crucial tasks here that are, are fairly holistic. They, they overlap with one another. The first is discipline, the discipline of the Lord. This refers to the formation of values and character and wisdom in the child. This is training or instruction or uh, discipling that is of the Lord. So as a parent, you are trying to inculcate the Lord's wisdom, the Lord's character, the Lord's word, the Lord's priorities in your child. Uh, the world has a thousand different priorities. Some of them are good, some of them are not. We want to make sure it is God's discipline, God's instruction, his paideia, his kind of training that is, that is motivating the parenting that we do and what we're seeking to instill in our kids. Parents, you do not own your children. We are rather stewards and caretakers who point them to their ultimate creator and Lord, that they might know and glorify and enjoy him. This discipline includes positive and negative elements, right? We want to reinforce, we want to commend the good, and we want to discourage and rebuke the bad. Kate got an email, was it last week? Um, with the tagline, how to redirect your baby without saying no. Friends, part of discipline is you have to know that there are times when you say no to your children. Um, when you're at work, I trust that your boss sometimes says no to you. Like, no, don't do that. No, that's not how you create a presentation. No, that's not how you fix this pipe, no, that, right? Uh, when you're learning a sport, a, a coach doesn't just say, do this. They also say, and, and don't do that. Uh, we know that in all of life, we need positive and negative reinforcement. There are some people who would say, in kind of parenting philosophies, that we should not uh, rebuke or correct or reprove our children. I don't think that's biblical. But of course, the dominant tone of our parenting should not be this unremitting negativity of don't do this, don't do that, stop it. No, we, we want our tone to be encouraging. We want to celebrate and give God the glory at the times when our kids obey and love others and share their toys and do well on tests and work hard at their athletics, right? We, we want to encourage them. We want that to be the tone and the aroma of our households. But that will be a, a shallow, thin veneer if, there is negative, if there's never a time for correction, uh, for challenging the, what our children are doing. The discipline of the Lord, it includes the use of the rod and other age-appropriate consequences when our children disobey. Uh, we'll talk about that more tonight at the evening service. Kind of what does that look like? The, the world has really, you know, at times, um, unbiblical ways where they've thought, oh, this is what punishment is, this is what discipline is, this is how parents should relate to their children, and ways that can be harsh and abusive and demeaning. 
Um, so is there a way that, that parents can use the rod in a way that's loving and wise and biblical? Uh, I, think, I think biblically the answer is, is yes. Uh, the goal of all kinds of discipline, whether it's spanking or having kids do other chores or uh, any number of things, is, is always, um, it's always the, the, the corrective behavior that will lead to life. Uh, put one way, uh, we discipline for the good of our children to provide momentary pain that teaches a lifelong lesson. Kind of whatever age your kid is, as you're engaging in that process of correcting behavior, again, whatever the particular consequence is, the goal is that in discipline, we would provide momentary pain to teach a lifelong lesson. Uh, so we'll think about that tonight. Again, kind of about various different age groups. How, how do you do that? Is that different for a three-year-old and a 13-year-old? Again, obviously the answer is yes. In, in this, we're trying to teach our kids that disobedience it leads to discipline, danger, and pain, right? So if you just think about the danger part, a child who will not listen to their parents, they are in huge danger because we live in a dangerous world. Like there are dangerous mushrooms and roads and sharp objects and philosophies and behaviors that will ruin your life. And so as parents, we warn our kids, we say, don't go there. I love you. Don't go there. And as they take steps there, we try in love to correct them. Uh, it leads to pain. Again, kind of similar thing, right? God's word, obedience, always leads to flourishing. Uh, it, it will never, it's never bad for us. It will always lead to our everlasting joy. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Uh, God intends the painful consequences of discipline to be the means that God imparts wisdom to our kids about the world and the way it works and what's true and right and good. M more than that, when, again, when we think about this concept of paideia and discipline uh, and discipling, we need to think about what it means to, to train them in holiness holistically. And what, what I just mean by that is simply like, you know, parents and fathers, if you are not walking in something, you can't train them in it. Um, you can't seek to inculcate traits that you yourselves are not seeking to grow in. Uh, do you love the church? Is the church a staple of your week or is God's people peripheral to your schedule? If it is peripheral, why would you expect otherwise from your kids? Do you actually rely on prayer during times of trial? Do you actually lean into God's word when you are confused and thinking about the future? Uh, do you confess and repent to your kids, to your spouse, to church members, to people at work, to your neighbors? Uh, and if not, why would you expect your kids to do that? If you look all over the world at affluent places and poor places and persecuted places, and you ask me, where is the hardest place to be a Christian? My answer would be easy or obvious. It is in the home that it is hardest to be a Christian. Because it's in the home that people see your sin, right? There's no hiding who you are there. And so the question is, what are you going to do about it? fathers, and parents. 
Do you ignore your sin? Do you downplay it? Do you blame shift? Uh, The home is where nominal Christianity comes to die. But it's also the place where the Spirit's work really gets going in training us in righteousness and allowing us to train our kids as well. The second thing that Paul refers to is instruct. Uh, This refers to using words to teach and correct and point out truths about God's word and God's world. Uh, Parents are never to use demeaning or harsh or degrading words. We are to speak the truth in love. And to do this, of course, we need to instruct not just about arithmetic and nature and, you know, just kind of the world. We need to teach God's word, right? Jesus said, you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So parents, I trust that you are diligent in providing meals for your kids. Uh, If you make it a priority to provide physical food, you should make it a priority to provide spiritual food as well. Tonight, we'll talk about family worship as well. So tonight's going to be like uber practical uh, at the evening service, 5 p.m., Lutheran Church of the Savior. We think about like, okay, how do, how do we do family worship? There are a million ways to do it. There's no one size fits all. Something that we're trying to grow in as a family, certainly. Um, so let me encourage you to come back tonight. If you have questions, we, we're going to kind of dig into that some more. Um, Proverbs 29.15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So again, whether any, whatever the kind of discipline that you do, we should never apply that as parents apart from instruction, from reproof, from, from saying what God's word means and how it applies to our kiddos' lives. Um, if you are like me, you struggle to apply God's word to your life because you're a sinner. It's really hard when you're like six or 12. You've only been around 12 years. So as a parent, one of the responsibilities we have is to teach that word and help our children apply it, not just to their behavior, but again, to their hearts. When we fail to use our words and instruct according to God's word, it's like when a child hands in an essay to a teacher, they get a failing grade, but with no explanation, no correction, no encouragement on what was good, no direction of what to do next time. It is crushing. We need to use our words to build up. Uh, Again, we're going to talk more tonight about how the book of Proverbs is literally a parenting manual. It uh, it tells us how to parent in so many ways. And Proverbs 1, 8 literally says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. So the book book of Proverbs literally is a father and a mother's instruction to their son, about how to live. And so tonight, again, we'll think about, okay, how do we apply this uh, as parents? All right, two more before we conclude. Number four, fathers and mothers, be the smile of God to your kids. Be the smile of God to your kids. It's weird to give this command, but here it is. Parents, delight in your kids. This is the father's attitude towards his son. Is it not? This is my beloved son. Not just my son. It's my beloved son in whom I'm kind of pleased. No, in whom I am well pleased. God the Father does not just tolerate his son. He enjoys him. He delights in him. Parents, don't just celebrate your kids' accomplishments. Celebrate them. 
Give thanks to God for them in front of them. Rejoice over them and affirm your love for them. Use your words and actions to communicate that love and priority and affection. One author says, it is a father's responsibility and privilege to set the tone of joy in his household. A father will set the mood of his home, whether he tries to or not, whether he chooses to be present or be absent. Uh, Parents, our relationship with our kids includes commands, but that is not the essence of our relationship. It is a relationship, one of love and trust and delight. We don't reflect well the glory of God if we don't delight overflowingly in our kids. We don't reflect well the glory of God if we don't delight overflowingly in our kids. And so I think a good summary of parenting would be, just if you put it in two words, would be authority and affection. That's the way God the Father relates to his son. That's the way he relates to us. My guess is that, I could be wrong, but my guess is on any, you know, every person kind of would lean towards one or two of those poles. Uh, I, you know, I think, and we struggle with both at any given time. If you're married, that might be a good thing to talk about with your spouse. Authority and affection. How, How do we seek to show that if we have kids, if we don't in our relationship? I want to end on the note of mothers. You say, Scott, like, where, where are mothers in this passage? Look at verse 20, Paul says, children obey your parents. That includes mothers. Mothers have such a crucial, hugely important, massively critical, God-gifted opportunity to shape and mold children. George Washington said, my mother was the most beautiful woman I ever saw. All that I am, All that I am, I owe to my mother. I attribute all my success in life to the moral, intellectual, and physical education I received from her. You know, literally, God has entrusted to mothers the most foundational and life-changing responsibility of nurturing a home and safe place for your child to grow and develop. In many ways, of course, that task continues after a son or daughter is born. And that glorious, weighty, hardest job on the planet type of work, well, it can be exhausting. Again, one author, she writes, a different one, she says, being a mom is more than being cook, chauffeur, maid, counselor, doctor, referee, disciplinarian, etc., just to name a few. It's about molding character, building confidence, nurturing, training, and guiding. There is nothing like the influence that a mother has on her child. A mother's influence has enormous potential to shape the person a child becomes for good or for ill. In a day and age that is obsessed with leadership, I cannot think of a more important leadership task than shaping little people, eternal souls, through the very hands-on task of mothering. And I I think, obviously, like, you know, it can be deceptive because the tasks of mothering and homemaking, caring for kids are often repetitive. So you think, is there any, is there there any power behind this? Uh, But as dripping water can, over time, shape and mold 
even granite to yield such beautiful shapes and designs, so the patient love and sacrifices of a mother can yield beautiful and strong and glorious results. Uh, Ladies and mothers in particular, don't believe the lie that you need to prove your worth in some kind of role or some kind of corporate job as if motherhood was a lowly thing. Uh, If God calls you to spend the majority of your waking hours in your career, in the workplace, if God gives you that ability and that opportunity and that's what he calls you to do, then praise God. Uh, Serve him in it. That's what we're going to talk about next week in a theology of work and vocation. Uh, But don't feel any shame or suspicion that you are wasting your years caring for kiddos. You are nurturing and shaping eternal souls. G.K. Chesterton once wrote, How can it be a large career to tell other people's children about the rule of three and a small career to tell one's own children about the universe? How can it be, a broad, how can it be broad to be the same thing to everyone and narrow to be everything to someone? No. A woman's function is laborious, but because it is gigantic, not because it is minute. I will pity Mrs. Jones for the hugeness of her task, I will never pity her for its smallness. I I cannot think of a harder day-to-day task than being a mother. I literally cannot. And I basically can't think of a more important one either. The temporal and eternal good of our children is at stake, and if the stakes couldn't be any higher, Titus 2 states, older women are to teach what is good, And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. You see, nothing less than the reputation of God and his word is at stake in our homes. Our households possess this massive opportunity and responsibility because godly homes are a powerful apologetic to the power and truth of God's word that it changes lives and promotes peace and love and joy and humility and unity as we all look to the Savior. And it's to this crucial task that wives and mothers are given the glory and honor to cultivate and steward. With their husbands, if the home is a garden, mothers have the high calling to nurture the weak, prune the disobedient, support the downtrodden, oversee and manage, subdue and have dominion. Uh, In conclusion, when a man and woman become husband and wife, they will hopefully soon become father and mother. Uh, In God's providence, that doesn't always happen. Uh, But as we seek to cultivate homes where children obey their parents, fathers lead in discipling their children, mothers nurture the growth and success of all, we will find that God's design is a good design, one that brings life and joy and peace. May God establish many such homes among us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are gracious with us. We confess that none of us fulfill our roles and responsibilities as we ought and as you command us. Lord, give us energy and grace and strength to do it for your glory because of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, friends, we conclude now by singing Christ is Mine Forevermore on page 15, uh, rejoicing that wherever we are in life, whatever station, Christ is our supreme treasure. Let's stand together and sing Christ is Mine Forevermore.